1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. We're going to end chapter 2 today. And also Matthew 26. The title of the message is All-Star Receivers. I don't have any uh, clever intro, so how about if I just give you the outline? You guys ready for that? Here's what we're going to look at today. The word taken in. We're going to see the word taken in in verse 13. It was taken in by the Thessalonians. In verse 14, we're going to see the word lived out by the Thessalonians. Then after that, we're going to see a bunch of ups. Actually, the ups start in verse 14 because you could say that the Thessalonians lived up to the name Christian. You could say that they stood up under persecution. But in verses 15 and 16, we're going to see the cup filled up. It's called the cup of wrath. By the, per, by the persecutors of those Thessalonians. And in verse 17 and 18, we're going to see a family split up by Satan. And then finally, in verse 19 and 20, we're going to see Paul look up. Okay, you guys ready? Verse 13, we see the word taken in. Let's start actually by taking a left real quick. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Paul and Silas and Timothy wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. And they say, whenever we think of you guys, we're always thankful, and we're thankful in particular for three things. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience in hope. Now, in chapter 2, verse 13, where we are today, Paul says, oh, and you can add this to the list of the things that we're thankful for about you. Verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. See, how many people were here last week? Some of us, right? There's a whole bunch that weren't, which is cool. Last week, we saw how Paul turned the world right side up. Remember that? How did Paul turn the world right side up? It was by getting the word out. Paul got the word, the word of God, out. Because the family memory verse, as you see, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, that which you hold in your lap today, is powerful. And Paul did his part to get the word out. But like any chemical reaction, you guys ever seen a chemical experiment in science? Right? You put two chemicals together and they blow up or whatever. Like any chemical reaction, you're going to need two elements for the thing to bubble over. To release the power, you need two things happening. Paul did his part. He got the word out. But the Thessalonians did their part. They took the word in. Both are necessary. In Matthew 13 and in Luke 8, you'd read of Jesus likening the word, the Bible, the scriptures, to a seed. He said, the word of God is like a seed. And he says, sometimes it falls on good soil. Sometimes it falls on bad soil. From one seed can come a mighty tree, right? With a mighty span. But first, that seed has to find, what? Good soil. See, 
You could say Paul was playing Johnny Appleseed all across Thessalonica, all across Rome. He was getting the word out, but absolutely nothing would have happened if the Thessalonians were not also taking the word in. Now notice there's going to be two different words for this concept of taking the word in in verse 13. In the New King James, if you have that, it says one word is received and the other word is welcomed. Look at verse 13 again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. That first word received, that's a, it's a passive word. It means to receive something transmitted. It means simply to pay attention. So if you're here today and you make it through the message and you don't fall asleep, you've fulfilled this word. Okay? It's a passive thing where it's like I'm, I'm here and I'm receiving whatever it is you know, that's in my general vicinity kind of thing. Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, not only did you receive it, but look, you welcomed it. See, that, that word welcome there is dekomai, and it means to take hold of, to take up, to grasp, to bring to yourself. See, Paul says to the Thessalonians, I'm so proud of you guys. You weren't just sitting there like a passive receiver. He says you guys were actively participating. You were reaching out. You were drawing it in. You weren't like a radio receiver. You're like a wide receiver. Right? You got anybody was a wide receiver in high school? Me neither. <laughs> but I understand that the way they're trained is they're trained to go to the ball. Right? They're trained to meet the ball. They're trained to reach out, to draw it in. And the best receivers, the all-star receivers, are those where you can throw it, seems like a half a mile away from them, and they catch it. You can throw it anywhere near them. They're going to grab it. They're going to draw it in. So, which are you? Are you a radio receiver? Standing in my spot. You know, something catches me great. Or are you a wide receiver? See, a radio receiver comes to church and plants himself and says, Well, I'm here. Aren't you happy? Says, If God wants to speak to me, I, I am ready to receive. But a wide receiver will jump leap, dive if he needs to. He's going to stretch out his hands. He's going to bring in, he's going to bring it in one-handed if he needs to. See, that's true in church. That's true right now. Some of you may be just radio receivers. But hopefully, more of you right now are saying, wait, I want to be a wide receiver. It's true in church, but you know what? It's also true in your quiet time. I truly believe, and I feel like I say this pretty much every week, so I think you guys would probably know if I was just making this up. If I make it up, I'm really consistent with my lie. I truly believe that whenever you open the Word, God has something for you. He really does. I believe that every time I open the Word, whether it's here or in my quiet time, God has something for me. And I'll be honest, sometimes it's over my head. If it's over my head, will I reach out for it? Will I jump for it? Or maybe it's something that's at my feet, meaning something that I, I think I already know that. It seems to be a shoelace pass. Will I scoop it up because I know that it's from him? See, 
maybe you're saying, well, how can I, I mean, I want to be an all-star receiver, but really, if I'm honest, I'm pretty much a radio receiver. How do you make the switch? Well, I think it comes from realizing and remembering what it is that you are receiving. Look at verse 13 again. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, as it really is the word of God. Paul says, when we came into Thessalonica, we were speaking. You knew it was us talking, but you realized that really it wasn't us. It was God speaking through us directly to you. Now, Paul could say that. Why? Because he was teaching out of the scriptures. He was teaching these guys from the Old Testament, the only Bible they had then. This is why I believe it's so important what we do at Calvary Chapel. We teach not just out of the Bible, not just from the Bible, but our goal, given enough time, and with me it will take a lot of time, is to preach through, to teach through the Bible. Our goal is not to just teach from the Bible, but eventually through the whole Bible. See, if I were to take just a couple verses and use them as a launching pad, right, a launching spot for my thoughts, what I think, I wouldn't spend any time coming to hear that. I mean, I know me. I'm not that smart. Okay? I'm not sure that I would spend an hour and a half sitting in a room listening to any man. There might be a few, but probably not every week. Spending that much time listening to one man's views? No. My desire, what I hope is happening here, is that God is speaking directly to you. See, if I can come to a church and hear God speaking through his word, then I'm going to keep coming. And if I really believe that he is speaking, then I am going to be an active listener. I'm going to be like, I don't want to miss it. Lord, what, it is, what is it that you have for me today? Verse 13, if we do that, here's what's going to happen. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, and look at this, which also effectively works in you who believe. So what is it that works? The word, once it's in you. Did you notice it's the word itself that does the work? It's not you that does the work. That's a pretty good deal. It doesn't say you welcomed the word and then you worked real hard to live up to it. It doesn't say that. It says, no, you received the word of God actively. And then in time, the word sprung up in your life. It sprung up on its own because it found good, fertile soil. See, as long as the seed, the word of God, finds good soil, the word itself does the work. Your only job, my only job, is to break up the fallow ground, to receive it actively, to till the soil, if you will, to actively reach out for the word, to open up to the word, and then trust. Because once it gets inside you, if you really let it inside you, if you seek to obey his words, right, as best you know how, the the Bible, the word itself is the thing that does the work. Maybe you're here today, and you're trying really hard to grow up. I mean, you look at your life and it's like, I can't believe that I'm still doing this or not doing that. Maybe you're working real hard to try to bear fruit. 
Have you ever seen a tree straining to grow? Straining to bear fruit? Trees don't do that because they come from a seed in good soil. Here's my point. Instead of working real hard to try to be good, to try to stretch out and to to grow, just focus on the Word, on bringing the Word into you. Then the Word will do the work, as we see now in verse 14. In verse 13, we saw the Word taken in. In verse 14, we're going to see the Word lived out. When you take the Word in, the Word will live itself out like it happens with the Thessalonians right here. For you, brethren... Paul says, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. See, Paul says, yeah, I can see the word working in you because he says, I saw you suffering from persecution from your fellow countrymen. And I said, oh, that's familiar. I get that. Paul says, that's familiar to me. See, the word lived itself out in the Thessalonians in a way that Paul could recognize, persecution. Paul's familiar with that. Paul's like, looks at the Thessalonians and goes, man, I feel like I'm back home. Back in Judea, you could tell Christians the same way. The stripes on their backs. Hey, we got matching stripes. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul knew the word of God was working in the Thessalonians because they were standing up under persecution, just like back home in Judea. They were living up to the name Christian, little Christ, by standing up under persecution, just like Jesus did. Look at verse 15. Who killed, he's speaking of the Judeans, right? He's speaking of the the, uh, people who were persecuting the Christians first in Judea. Those who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So what have we seen so far? Come on, all-star receivers. The word taken in and we've seen the word lived out. Or if you want to make them all ups, we've seen the word taken up And we've seen the Thessalonians standing up under persecution. Here's the rest of all of your ups. Well, here's the next one. Verse 15 and 16, what we're going to see is the cup filled up. Did you catch that? I'm a poet. I didn't know it. We're going to see the cup filled up. Verses 15 and 16. See, Paul is now, in verse 15, he's going to turn his attention to the enemies of the gospel. Specifically, the ones that he's familiar with, the ones in Judea. And he's going to give this laundry list of offenses. See what he says against these Judeans? He says, look, okay, first they killed Jesus. They killed their own prophets. He says they persecuted us. He says they think they're pleasing God, but they do not please God. He says these guys are contrary, meaning they're against all men. He says we go into the synagogue, they won't even listen to us. So what do we do? We go to the Gentiles and they say, we don't want you talking to the Gentiles either. Look at verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. See, Paul says, look, these enemies, the ones from my hometown in Judea, 
These enemies of the gospel are filling up the measure of their sins. Now, maybe you guys are thinking, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? So what that the, the Thessalonians were persecuted? I mean, I would feel bad for them, but they're dead. They're in heaven now. That's good. We, we currently, this, this seems like a distant thing for us sometimes because we currently enjoy the freedom to assemble, right? We have the freedom to talk about Jesus in our country today. See, we don't need to stand up under persecution because we don't experience persecution yet. Real physical persecution. But I want to show you some pictures. Some of you guys saw this. These were emails that were uh, sent around this last week. We did check it out. These are actually, these were taken in London after the whole brouhaha with, uh, with uh, the cartoons that were defaming the uh, prophet Muhammad, right? These, this, this was a protest that they had. You can see the signs. Next one. Behead those who insult Islam. Next. Europe is the cancer. Islam is the answer. Exterminate those who slander Islam. Next. Freedom. Go to hell. Europe, you will pay. Your 9-11 is on its way. And then this one. Islam will dominate the world. Now, I don't know how this is going to turn out. We don't know if Jesus is going to come back before this happens or if after this may happen. We don't know if it will or will not happen. But I can tell you this. I think pretty Surely, if these people get their way, if they get what they want, then verse 15 and 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 will be very relevant, will be very current. Let's go over that again. Verse 15. These guys, he says, killed both the Lord Jesus. Now, the Muslims, they haven't killed the Lord Jesus any more than I have. But very definitely, it's their desire. Not all Muslims, okay, again, but these radical Muslims... It's their desire to kill anyone who calls himself Christian, who has this name with Christ attached to them. He says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Well, we know in radical Islam, Sunni Muslims are killing Shiite prophets. Shiite prophets are killing Sunni prophets. He says, and they have persecuted us. Paul's saying, look, they're persecuting us who, who share the gospel. That, that could easily happen if they dominate the world. And it says they do not please God. Meaning, Paul says, these guys, he's talking about the guys way back in Judea. He says, these guys, they kill us and they think they're doing God a favor. Well, does that sound familiar? When these people kill us, when they kill Christians, Jews, Americans... There are people in the world right now who think that they are pleasing God. But he says, but they do not please God. And then he says, and they're contrary to all men. Meaning, if you bring it into today's terms, they are set in deadly opposition to anyone who does not surrender to their brand of Islam. You get it? Verse 16, he says, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. Well, does that happen today? The uh, forbidding us to speak. I just took this off the web. This is uh, from Christian Persecution. I don't know if it's .com or whatever, but these are just the last few weeks, or not even the last few weeks, the last few days, excuse me. 
China state destroys church building, detains Christians. India army attacks church, one killed, five injured. Town in India plans ban on preaching non-Hindu faiths. Four Christians attacked, arrest, attacked, arrested after service. Catholic villagers attack, vandalize Baptists. Pakistan Muslim militants attack Christian villagers, three injured, one missing. Vietnam releases uh, internet users after uh, this story, this news story that happened, ending nine months of detention. And then finally, Egypt Muslim kills Christian uh, cobbler amid rising religious tensions. See, it's still happening. I mean, God forbid that it would happen here. But what if it did? What if that were to happen? If you were to actually face persecution, if you spoke your beliefs, would you stand up like these Thessalonians were doing under persecution or would you fall down to Islam? I can tell you, I can tell you the answer to that. If you have taken the word in consistently, if you can take in the word in, that you will have the powerful word of God in you and you will live it out. Or more correctly, it will live itself out in you as we've already seen. If you kneel before Jesus, you can stand before anyone. You can stand before persecution. Of course, it's not my desire, it's none of our desire that this would happen. But we don't know. Now, what is the fate of these terrorists? I mean, today and back then. These Judean terrorists, these Thessalonian terrorists... These folks who continually murder and teach their children to murder. Paul laid out their, uh, their fate in verse 16. He says, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What in the world is he saying here? The, see, there's an image in the Bible called the cup of wrath. You can find it in Revelation 14 and Revelation 16. Here's the idea in a simplified nutshell maybe the idea is that God's patience with sin though it's vast I can tell you his patience with sin is vast in my own life though his patience with sin is vast it is limited there will come a time when he won't put up with it anymore every day in my life God shows how long suffering he is Every day, God shows that he's much more long-suffering than I would ever be if I was king of the world. Why is he? Why is he so long-suffering? Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to come back, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But this cup of wrath, like a cup, like a huge goblet, under a spout of sin, like each drop of sewage, of carnage, each drop that our holy God allows, one day the cup will be filled to the brim. And because God is not only a God of mercy, but He's a God of justice, one day He will pour out His cup of wrath. But look at this. Notice the tense of Paul's statement. He says, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, this letter was written around 50 A.D. It could be that the Judean terrorists were suffering under Roman rule in 50 A.D., but really what, when it really hit them was when Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D. 
And yet Paul here speaks of as though it's already happened. And so, so you know, in A.D. 70, there was not one stone left upon another in the temple, right? This was total destruction. But Paul speaks as though it's already happened. See, that happens a lot in the Bible where a future event is spoken of in the past tense. You know why? Well, one, because God is outside of time. But two, because it's so sure. Paul says, look, this hasn't happened yet, but it's so sure. I'm going to talk about it in the past tense. It says they are filling up the cup of wrath and it will be poured out upon them. He says it's a done deal. And here's where it gets really sobering. I need to say today... I don't know where people's hearts are today. But if you're here and you have not entered into this relationship with Jesus that we talk about all the time, right? If you're here and you haven't received him, I need to tell you, you are under, currently under the wrath of God. It's a really big cup because he's patient. His mercy is vast. But there is a limit. There comes a time when the cup will be full to the brim and God will pour out his wrath. And if you're under his wrath, you will be forced to drink of this cup. But here's the good news. There's a way out. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We see God's plan to deal with this cup of wrath. Matthew 26, starting at verse 36. I'm just going to read for you. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is the night before his crucifixion. Verse 38, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup Pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them, went away again, and prayed the third time saying the same words. Did you hear that? Three times. The night before his crucifixion. He's got disciples that are falling asleep on him, say, we won't let you down. He's got that going back and forth, right? Comes back and forth between these guys. He comes. Other places in the scripture say that he was bleeding drops of blood. He was sweating drops of blood. This condition where it, you're under so much stress that you actually begin to sweat great drops of red sweat because the capillaries have burst in your, in your forehead. Jesus, the capillaries in his head bursting under the stress, says, Father, if there's any way at all, if there is any way at all that I can not drink this cup, let it pass from me. And he asks again, says, if there's any other way, let's go with that plan. And he asks again, and he finally says, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. You guys get it? That was the cup of wrath. 
Jesus drank of the cup of wrath so that I don't have to. So that you don't have to. No one here today has to drink of the cup of wrath. You can have your sins included in that cup and let Him drink it rather than you. The way you do it is by receiving Him into your life. Or you can go to heaven or to hell your own way. Meaning, well, it's kind of silly, but I was thinking B-Y-O-R. Bring your own righteousness and see where it leads you. If you bring your own righteousness, the Bible says that your best day is like filthy rags before him. That's how righteous, how holy he is. But Jesus made a way. How awesome is that? All right. We've seen. Paying attention still? All-star receivers? We've seen the word taken in. We've seen the word lived out. We've seen the word taken up. We've seen the Thessalonians standing up to persecution. Now in verses 17 and 18, we're going to see a family split up. See, we saw last time Paul was speaking to these guys as a father, as a loving father. He says, I encouraged you, I exhorted you, I comforted you. And now this father says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you, the word there is orphaned. That's what it means. We've been taken away from you. You've been orphaned for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Paul says, and this was one of the big reasons that he wrote this letter, guys. He didn't want them to think that he had just left them because he didn't care about them. You guys remember the circumstances that precluded, uh, that's not the right word, but that made this happen? The fact that Paul was split up from his family in Thessalonica? It was persecution. It was this very persecution that we're talking about that separated, that split up this family. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. Acts 17, verse 5. This will lay it down for you how this separation occurred. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming... I'm sorry, this is verse 5. 17, verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason's a brand new baby baby believer and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security, taken a, a bail, from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And then verse 10 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. You get it? Paul had only been there three weeks. And suddenly, this persecution just breaks out like wildfire. Everything's in chaos. This baby Christian's being held in jail. And they finally, the, the brothers, the people that Paul had been grown so attached to in just three weeks, said, Paul, you've got to get out of here. And Paul probably was, was torn because he was never one to back away from a fight. I mean, he always, every place he went, he was getting beaten up. But I think that he left because he didn't want to make it harder. He sees this baby Christian in jail. He didn't want to make it any harder than these guys who are just starting to figure things out. So he left. So he writes this letter, First Thessalonians, to let them know, look, guys, I didn't leave you because I didn't care about you. I left you because I wanted you to survive to thrive he wanted them now in verse 17 to know his heart for them he says but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence 
not in heart. It says, my heart is still with you. Endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Paul says, look, guys, I, I schemed, I've begged, I've borrowed, I've done anything I can to try to get back to you guys in hopes of seeing you face to face again. Verse 18, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. Notice, Paul says, he says, even I, me, right? This letter is supposed to be from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's like Paul says, I'm, Timothy, who's probably writing it, make sure that you write this, even I, me, Paul. This is like one of those holiday letters that mom writes to everyone's family, right? For the whole family. You know, Billy's doing great and, and Susie's doing great over here and we're doing all this. And it's like dad says, oh, yeah, Fred, I want, I want to get him a special message. I want him to know that this is from me. So he writes down his own handwriting, something very important that he wants you to know and he wants you to know that it came from him. Paul says, this is me, guys. I really wanted to come back so that I could be with you. Paul says, I want you to know that I personally have tried to come back to Thessalonica more than once. He says, but, into verse 18, but Satan hindered us. How did that happen? How exactly did Satan hinder him? We don't know. Was it through sickness? Could have been. Was it through a storm? Could have been. Was it through a setback? Could have been. We don't know, but I, I do know this. In this instance, Satan hindered Paul from fellowshipping with the brethren. And I know this. Satan wants to hinder you from fellowshipping with the brethren. Lately, he's been using sickness. There are people that I wish were here today, but they can't be because of sickness. Satan wants to hinder us from fellowship. Sometimes he uses sickness, but sometimes he uses storms. Storms in life. And this is the sad part is that sometimes we fall for that one. We don't need to fall for that one. That's the worst thing we can do when a storm comes in our life is to stay away from fellowship. Right? The storms in life, only Jesus can calm. It's the storms that should make us run to church. That should make us run to church and ask for prayer should make us study the Word because what? The Word is a compass in the midst of the storm. And instead, though, many people, they fall for it. They stay away. They become isolated. You guys know the enemy, according to the Word, is also described as a roaring lion. It says he's roaming all about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you watch any National Geographic video... If you were to watch it about a lion, you'd see when he, he goes out hunting, he looks for the weak. But he especially looks for the weak and isolated. If he can find them separate, pick them off, he will. If today, by God's grace, you were thinking, I, I don't really want to come to church because my life's a storm. My life's a wreck. I'm so thankful that you made it because... If you're being stalked by the enemy, the lion, if you're being sized up, just kind of circling, he's waiting, what do you do? Today, cry out. Ask for prayer. Ask for help. You're in the midst of people who can and want to defend you. Don't be isolated and don't be hindered 
from coming to be with the brethren. Now, what if you are sick? Am I saying you guys should come to church when you're sick? No, because you'll make the rest of us sick. But we can learn something from Paul here because he was physically somehow kept away from fellowship. But did you notice he didn't really take it lying down, so to speak? He was hindered physically, but this very letter, what is it? This letter is him stubbornly refusing to be cut off from the brethren. Do you see it? One commentator pointed out that Satan no doubt regretted the day that he kept Paul from getting here with the Thessalonians because what happened? Paul writes his, what some people think is his very first letter. His very first letter to the, the churches, which becomes scripture, which now edifies us. You get it? It could have been that Paul's like, I can't believe I can't get back to I'll write him a letter. And he writes his letter and he's like, wow, that felt good. I think I'll do it again. I'll write to the Galatians. I'll write to the Ephesians. I'll write to the Philippians. We don't know. But one thing I do know, if I know Paul, he didn't take this lying down. So what if you're sick one Sunday? What if you really want to come on a Thursday night, but you, you can't do it because of some physical impediment? I suggest to be stubborn like Paul. Don't let Satan win. For instance, listen online. Make a point to call, call somebody. To contact and say, look, I need prayer. Or, better yet, how can I pray for you? That's a side note from me. I just, this is one of my strong desires, is that we would just somehow begin to get in the habit of calling each other. Saying, how can I pray for you? For me, I'm starting to learn to do it. Cell phone's an awesome thing. If you, don't have, if you have limit, unlimited minutes, it's a good thing. I'm on my way to work. I got nothing. Else. I could listen to the radio, but hey, how can I pray for you? And here's another thing. might sound kind of uh, small, but I think it's a good thing. If you haven't yet, sign up for that supper club. Grow in fellowship, getting closer ties, and you won't be isolated like the enemy wants you. Okay, we've seen the word taken up. We've seen the Thessalonians standing up under persecution. We've seen the cup of wrath being filled up. We've seen the family of God being split up. And finally, verse 19 to 20, we see that Paul looks up. Right? His whole goal here is to, one of them, is to make the Thessalonians know how much they mean to him. So he says, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul says, you guys, what, what other source of joy do I have but the thought of when I get to heaven, I'm going to see you guys. I'm going to see your face. You guys, it's an awesome motivation for evangelism, isn't it? He says, what is my hope, my joy, my crown of rejoicing? Is it not the thought that when I get to heaven, you're going to be there. We're going to have a reunion. See, Paul says, you guys know, Paul used the analogy of a runner a lot. He said, look, guys, I keep my eye on the prize. I keep my eye on the finish line. I keep my eye on the, the, the time when I finish the race and you guys, you Thessalonians, are there. Way to go, Paul. Paul, that's awesome. Thank you so much for running so hard for so long. Paul says, I keep my eye on the prize. And he says to the Thessalonians, you are the prize. You are my crown of rejoicing. See, that's what the runners would get when they would win. 
you get this crown. Paul, Paul, in another spot, he calls it, well, it's this perishable crown. It's just this thing of reeds, uh, you know, of, uh, of vines. He says in a week it's dead. He says, but it's a crown. It's like, you won. Paul says, you guys are my crown. You guys are the thing that when I'm running, I'm thinking, someday I'm going to get to see them in heaven. Someday I'm going to get to see them in heaven. Here's a question. Maybe a piercing question. When you get to heaven, how many folks will be waiting there to say, thank you. Thank you for sharing with me the gospel. Thank you for badgering me into going to church. Thank you for giving to missions. Thank you for tithing to a church that gives to missions. Thank you for the things. Jesus says when you get to heaven, there's going to be some surprises. And not all of them, some of them might be bad, but some of them will be good. He says there'll be people, there'll be things where he'll say, I was sick and you helped me up. I was poor, you helped me out. I pray that for you there's a multitude of folks that you can think of that would be waiting there. But especially a special, maybe little group of people that said, thank you for leading me to Jesus. One thing I know for sure, though, if you're a Christian, there will be one person, definitely at least one, waiting for you. Hebrews chapter 12. It was the very first message we ever gave here on a Sunday morning. I'll just read it to you. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, for who, the, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, when he ran his race, he had his eye on the prize. And it was you. And if you've received him into your heart, there, there will come that grand reunion when you and the one who secured your future get to meet face to face. So, two more little ups for you. Ready? It's really fast. Two more ups. If the current state of your world is down, there's two more ups. Cheer up. Look up. You know why? Because Jesus will show up.